You are listening to Hellcat's Hope, episode number 15. Welcome to Hellcat's Hope, the podcast to find humor, healing, and hope. Come along with Hellcat as she explores ways to help you overcome adversity and find your own inner Hellcat. Yes, Hellcat is her legal middle name, and hope is her game, bringing hope to others by showing what's possible. Here's your host, law school grad, motivational speaker, author, and certified life and smoking cessation coach, Lori Hellcat Bamford. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Episode 15, How to Manage Our Minds Through Life's Transitions. So I was going to do a podcast on developing a mission statement, and I'm still going to do that one because I think it's really, really important. But I realized I find myself in a lot of transition right now. And as I was doing my journaling, I thought, you know, I kind of feel like I'm not the only one. So I thought maybe I would do a a podcast episode on how can we manage our minds through life's transitions. And when I talk about managing our minds, sometimes people go, what are you talking about, crazy lady? When I talk about managing our minds, I talk about the power of the think, feel, act cycle. It's something that I coach my clients on. It's something that my coach coached me on. It's something that I coach myself on every single day. And it applies pretty much in any circumstance to any relationship, to any situation. And the beautiful thing about it is it gives us the ability to look at our thoughts and learn that it is our thoughts that get us a result because our thoughts create feelings that drive our actions. And so I wanted to talk today about how to manage our minds through life's transitions. Like I said, I I find myself in a lot of transition right now to the point where I sat down in my journaling and I made a list because it was beginning to feel a little overwhelming. Probably the biggest transition right now was sending Aaron off to college. So I shared in episode 13, my baby has a beard, leaving, leading, and loving. And I described how I was able to have an amazing day with my son as we were preparing to move him up to college. Well, August 10th was his official dorm move-in date. So we moved him out of the little cabin there in Hayes, Kansas, and into the dorms. And let me just give a shout out to McMindus Hall and Fort Hayes State University because their process was seamless. It was really wonderful. Everybody had a job. We piled everything into these huge bins with wheels and we got everything into his room. Special thank you to Aaron's sister, Sarah, and his grandmother, Jerry Ruth, in helping us unpack and for Reg, my husband, in taking orders left and right. And also to baby daddy Tom, because he managed to get Aaron out of the room with his roommate, take them to lunch so that he was out of my hair while I set up his room how I wanted. (laughs) Now, it wasn't just how I wanted, but it was a logical way that made sense. And I know that Aaron would appreciate how to find everything. So we went and met them for lunch. We all came back to the dorm rooms. I showed Aaron where everything was. (laughs) And then we said our goodbyes. And it was okay. Again, I was a little bit weepy, but it really was okay. Now, this whole last week, today is August 15th, so it's been a whole five days. I'm not going to lie. It feels about like 10 days. 
Uh, it's been a little rough. It's just, it's a strange way to describe it. There's this overwhelming feeling of relief and pride and joy and just seeing him live out his dreams. And it's amazing. And there's this underlying feeling of sadness. And I miss him like crazy, but it's going to be okay. So that is one transition that I'm in right now. I'm transitioning from seeing his car in the driveway, from him texting me every day, what's for breakfast, what's for lunch, what's for dinner. <laughs> I'm transitioning from hearing his feet come down the stairs and having a house full of teenage boys on any given weekend and feeding all of them. So Aaron going off to college is a huge place of transition right now. Number two, being on the school board, brand new position for me and a place of transition, especially when we are maneuvering our own district's return to learn policies and plans. Another area, Sarah returning to school and distance learning. We have selected the blended option for her. She will go to band every morning and then she will come home and finish her studies throughout the day. So that is a big area of transition right now. My job is another area of transition. I've been working remotely since March. So it's a period of transition, not just for myself, but for my staff and how I interact with my staff and for the company as a whole. My life coach and this podcast, that's in transition. It's growing and what does that look like? And what are my long-term goals with this? Of course, relationships are in transition. Sometimes I think relationships are always in transition. God bless my husband. He just, you know, I'll, he'll, I'll just start crying and, and he just tries to figure out what to do to help. <laughs> and so you look at these different relationships. My relationship with Aaron is in transition. He's a free, he's a free kid now. And then of course, health and wellness. My health is in a period of transition. I'll talk a lot about that today. So I hope that this episode is something that all of you can relate to. You can think of some area in your life right now that is in transition. I just want to go over a few things that I've discovered in going through the transitions myself and also in my journaling and how I am using the coaching model, this think, feel, act cycle to live with intention during these periods of transition. So one of the topics I want to talk about today is the transition in my health. As I've shared in prior episodes, my health is something that I've been working on my entire adult life, but really seriously in the last 10 years. You see, about 10 years ago, my doctor took me aside and he said, listen, if you don't make some changes, you're not going to see your kids grow up. And that was a huge wake up call for me. And so I started running and then I quit smoking October 9th, 2011. At that time, I was smoking up to two packs a day. I was taking all sorts of medication related to the effects of smoking and of course, obesity. And so I began running and I began to lose a little bit of weight here and there, up and down. I tried everything. I've tried every conceivable diet. I've tried, I've tried everything. Probably the most success in terms of weight loss that I had was during the Homeland Get Healthy Challenge in 2016, 2015, 2016. That was a biggest loser contest locally here in Oklahoma City. And over 14 weeks, I lost 80 pounds. And I was the only woman to ever win that contest. And I won $5,000. And it was wonderful. I got down to 202 pounds, size 12, felt amazing. But I white knuckled through the whole thing. 
I beat myself up through the whole thing. I did not do it from a place of love. Now, I do not regret doing it because I learned many things that I still practice today. And that's what I want to talk about today is looking back over areas of your life and when you're practicing a certain skill or you're practicing a certain tool and you learn, you know what, this isn't going to work for me right now, or I'm going to keep this tool, but I'm going to add a new tool to it. I'm going to add a new skill with it. That's what transition is about so much of the time. I have been through binge eating disorder therapy. I have shared in prior podcasts, I was diagnosed with binge eating disorder it was not your typical binging. It wasn't um, vomiting to get rid of the food I had eaten. But if I had consumed a large amount of food, it was always followed by three things. Number one, an incredible beat down on my soul. <laughs> number two, severe restriction. And number three, excessive exercise. And all of those things are considered purging. And so I sought therapy for the binge eating disorder, saw my therapist for about a year, and then I started working with my life coach, end of 2017, beginning of 2018. And for the last three years, as part of my recovery, I got out of the diet mentality, I got out of the tracking every single calorie, every single macro, and I shifted to the tool of intuitive eating. And if you want to know more about intuitive eating, go back to episode nine, where I talk about intuitive eating, healing from the diet culture and hope for recovery. I feature my sister-in-law, Sarah Nicole with Sarah Nicole LLC. And that tool for intuitive eating as a means to change our relationship with food. And so I began working with my life coach. I got rid of all the diet mentality. And so for the last three years, I've not counted one calorie. I have not counted one macro. But what I did do is work on my mind. I worked on how I think about myself. I worked on how I talk about myself. I worked on how I think about circumstances and understanding that my thoughts create feelings that drive my actions that get me my results. And it has changed my life. Again, this kind of work is not to feel better. This is not unicorns and glitter and rainbows and let's just have positive thinking. No, it's not that at all. The purpose of this work is not to feel better. The purpose of this work is to feel. And so what I've done for the last three years is work on my mind and how I speak to myself and how I think about things. And in that process, I learned to trust my body, for my body to tell me when it's hungry, and for my body to tell me when it's satisfied. I have spent the last three years learning what foods work for me, what foods make me feel good, what foods make me feel really terrible, and learning that there are no good foods or bad foods. It's just food. For three years, I've worked on developing this relationship, this normal relationship with food. Now, I gained back all that weight I lost, gained it all back because I didn't deal with the mental aspect of it. So I've spent the last three years dealing with the mental aspect of it. And I don't regret it one bit because I know without a doubt, the skills and the tools that I have learned over the last three years are going to help me reach my health and wellness goals. Now, as I've mentioned before, my doctor, Dr. Kim King here in Oklahoma City, I've been going to him for 12 years. I go to him every three months. He checks my blood, we check my labs, 
and he helps me figure out what we need to do. Now, you also need to know I have a family history of diabetes, hypertension, kidney disease, and heart disease. So my genetics aren't really my friend sometimes. <laughs> I used to think of that from a victim standpoint. Well, I just have crappy genetics. This is just the way it is. This is just the hand I've been dealt. No, I learned that that is not true. No matter how bad our genetics are, we can take steps to live a long and healthy and well life. And so I'm aware of what my limitations are genetically and through my family history. And I've learned what my limitations and challenges are with food and eating. And so I find myself in a place today, in a place of transition. I have all these tools and I still want to achieve a level of health and wellness. And part of that is to lose this excess weight for me. Now, this is not about body shaming. This is not about, gosh, I wish this wasn't the body that I had. No, I've spent the last three years working on loving my body and loving myself. Now, that doesn't mean that the old messages don't come up. Oh, they do. Trust me. I'll see a picture or I'll have that inclination to compare myself to 2016. But I have to remind myself that that person still did not love herself or her body. That person, even when I felt that I was, quote, at the top of my game, was still berating myself and still telling myself, no, you got to get under 200. You're not, this is really not worth it unless you get down to at least 170. Come on. And so I can look back at those pictures and I can say, yeah, whew, I sure did look good and I feel pretty good. But my mind wasn't right. My heart and my soul weren't right. And so the last three years, I really do consider a period of transition. And I find myself today beginning another area of transition that I want to share with you today. I've only told a few family members. And so most of you are hearing it here for the first time. But as I've been working with my doctor every three months, we started to see a pattern. It didn't matter how much I ran, which you guys know I trained for marathons. I've completed two full marathons, five half marathons, and countless other races. I, I've, even, I've lost count. I love running. I love physical activity, thankfully. But it seemed to not matter how much I ran or how perfect I was in my diet, the scale wasn't moving. It didn't matter if 80% of the time I was able to stay within my hunger scale, drink my water, get my sleep. I'm doing the mental work. The scale wasn't moving. My doctor and I together could look at the data. I would take it to him every three months and we would look at it together and realize something's not adding up. And I just turned 50 years old in February and we noticed my A1C that measures the glucose in your blood just kept getting higher and higher and higher. So I have been diagnosed as insulin resistant. I am also now borderline diabetic. Now, if you look at some of the members in my family around the time they turned 50, they became diabetic. I look at that in my father as well. He died from complications from diabetes. And those of you probably know this, and you, or if not, you could just research it. Diabetes is a disease that affects so many other organs and so many other systems within our body. And I've seen it firsthand. 
And so I sat down with my doctor and I said, what can we do? I don't, I don't want to get on insulin. I don't want to be a diabetic. I also know it's not realistic for me to think that I can be 100% perfect with my food intake all the time. Because what would happen is I would be quote perfect and then I'd have an off day because guess what? I'm human. <laughs> but then when I would have an off day, it was a setback of two, three, four days in terms of how it affected my body because of my insulin resistance, because of my borderline diabetes. And so where a normal person who has a normal relationship with food, of course, has an off day, they're able to recover and it's not a big deal. But my doctor and I discovered that my metabolic system is trashed. And I hesitated to use that word. I kept trying to find a nicer word to describe it because I didn't want to be so negative about it. I don't want to be dramatic about it. But I don't know any other way to describe my metabolic system right now and my insulin resistance right now other than it's trashed. It needs some help. It's challenged. Maybe that's the better word. You know, for so long, I, I, I was in shame and judgment about the weight gain. You know, every time I'd see somebody who hadn't seen me in a long time, I, honest to God, I really wasn't listening to anything they were saying because the voice in my head the entire time was saying, yeah, they're just noticing how fat you got. Woo, they are thinking about how fat you've got. It's terrible. It was a terrible way to live. And that is something that I've worked so hard on combating over the last three years. And so my doctor and I started looking at different options. And the option that I have decided during this period of transition is gastric bypass. I've looked at the sleeve and I've looked at gastric bypass. And in discussions with my doctor and my new surgeon, we have decided to go the route of a gastric bypass. Now, I really resisted this for a long time. Again, we've been talking about it for probably a year. And I resisted because there was this thought in my head that it meant that I had failed or that I was quitting or that I was finding the easy way out. And so I really had to do some work around that because again, during this period of transition, it's not about giving up. It's not about setting aside what I've learned. It's not about just starting over. That's one thing I really had to tell myself. This is not starting over. So many times I hear people say, well, I'll just start over on Monday or I'm going to have to start over. No, starting over makes it sound like you haven't done anything and don't know anything. The reality of the situation is, is you know what to do. You have the skills. And just because you gained weight, it doesn't erase the work that you've done. It doesn't erase the fact that, yeah, I lost 80 pounds and won a contest in 14 weeks. It doesn't erase the fact that I found a life coach that changed my life, that I found a tool that changed the way I think about things. It doesn't erase the fact that I am a fan of intuitive eating, and it is something that I will continue to do. Because here's the deal. What I value about intuitive eating and the hunger scale and listening to my body is it has taught me to trust myself. The diet industry it's all about telling you what you should eat, when you should eat it, and how much you should eat. And if you would just do that, everything would be fine. You'll lose weight. But I think what sometimes is lost in translation is the fact that we need to listen to our bodies. Our bodies will tell us when we're hungry. Our bodies will tell us when we've had enough. And our bodies will tell us 
I don't like it when you eat that. So what I love about intuitive eating is that I am trusting myself. And with the gastric bypass, number one, my number one reason, it has a 98% effectiveness against defeating diabetes and all of the comorbidity diseases that come along with that. It has an immediate impact on that. It has an immediate impact on hypertension. So for me, that's the number one. Number two, running. I want to be able to run when I'm 80. Because here's the deal. Runners will understand this. When you go to a race, you're placed in an age division. And so however fast you finish, that's going to determine if you get first, second, or third place. Now, I never really think about placing, but I will say at the Deer Creek Classic in 2016, when I had lost all this weight, I did place first in my age division at the 10K. (laughs) Boy, that was a highlight. Let me tell you. I acted a fool. I was jumping around, screaming and hollering. These other women looking at me like I was crazy. I didn't care. I had just placed. (laughs) But usually I'm not looking to place. I'm just looking to finish. I'm a back of the pack girl. But let me tell you my thought process on this. If I can keep running until I'm 80, I can tell you very rarely do I see other 80 year olds in the races. So guess what's going to happen? I'm going to win my age group every time. I'm going to have to get a bigger wall for my medals. So running is number two. I have been so fortunate because I'm not your average runner body, guys. Okay, I know I'm carrying this extra weight, but I have been so fortunate, knock on wood, that I have never had any knee trouble. I have never had any joint trouble ever. I had an extra bone in my foot that had to be removed, but that wasn't from my weight. That was from activity. That was a condition that normally is found in children because children are active. But I was never active as a child. I wasn't active until I was an adult. And that's when they discovered I had an extra bone in my foot. Of course, I would have something extra, right? (laughs) My point being, I want to be able to run when I'm 80. And I know at 50, if I have this weight on my skeletal system, eventually it's going to hurt my joints. I want to have mobility. I want to be able to run around with my grandchildren. And I don't know how I'm going to check out of this world. I know we, none of us know. None of us know. I like to tease sometimes and say, I know exactly how my life here on this earth is going to conclude. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be kidnapped by some drug lords, probably because I'll venture off into Mexico again without a passport. Now, if you want to hear that story, go back to episode two. (laughs) I'm pretty sure what's going to happen is I'm going to get abducted by some drug lords and I'm going to pop off my mouth at the wrong time and they're going to snuff me out. They're going to get tired of my gripe and they're going to get tired of my smart mouth. Now, in reality, I know I can go at any time. I could get hit by a truck. I could get sick with cancer and die. There are a myriad of possibilities that I can check out of this life from. The one thing I don't want to be a factor in my death is diabetes. And I truly believe, based upon my research for the better part of a year and discussions with my doctor and discussions with my surgeon and some friends who have had different procedures done, that I am an excellent candidate for this procedure. And it doesn't mean I'm giving up. It's just another tool that I'm going to use on my journey. And I will have podcasts on it. I will keep everyone updated on my journey because I truly believe that the mental work that I've done over the last three years is going to help me at this part of my journey. 
And you know, today I'm talking about my health journey predominantly, but again, I ask you to think of any area in your life right now that is in a period of transition. How can you look back over the years prior and think about the things that you have overcome and think about the things that you have learned and how you can take those things and use them in this period of transition right now to give you a sense of, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Now, part of the process in preparing for surgery and of course, after surgery is I have to start tracking again. I have to start tracking my protein is very important. I have to start tracking carbs again, and I have to start tracking fats. I've resurrected the MyFitnessPal that I turned off three years ago. And again, it's been uncomfortable just because I've been so focused on the intuitive eating tool. But I want to share with you some things that have helped me in all these different areas of transition right now. And maybe you can find that they apply in your life. Number one, acceptance of the change. Don't resist it. If it seems like that's the best decision for you, or if it's something that's happening that you can't stop, i.e. your children leaving the house and going off to college, also COVID, return to school learning, also your jobs, your relationships. There's so many things that we cannot control. Sometimes that first step is to accept the change. In order to get through this transition, accept the change, don't resist it. Number two, journaling. Expose the thoughts that you have about it. Get it down on paper and then challenge the truthfulness of it. See if the way you're thinking about it is serving you. Maybe it is true, but is it really serving you? Maybe just be open to challenging yourself to think about it in a different way. Think over the times in your life of great transition. What did you do then? What skills did you have or develop? Tell your brain on paper that you can do the same thing now. So acceptance, journaling. Number three, you need to be flexible. I know those who know me, that's rich coming from me. I get it. Miss itinerary here. I get it. (laughs) But let me tell you, with COVID, I have learned to be flexible. When change happens, my old brain, my primal brain wants to send up that message of panic. But now I have practiced it enough that I know to go, okay, this is not a big deal. Or if it is a big deal, we're going to get through it. And here's how. Number four, drop the judgment. Be okay with mistakes. I know with this surgery, I'm going to make mistakes. I know in this process of sending Aaron off to school, I'm going to make mistakes. I know in becoming a remote boss, I'm going to make mistakes with my staff. If they're listening, I I know they would tell you I have. But withhold judgment, be okay with mistakes, because that's where the learning happens. Number five, during periods of transition, be open and curious. Just look at it and think, okay, this is happening. I want to come at it from a place of openness and curiosity. Number six, be patient. Some transitions happen quickly. Other transitions go on for a longer time. When this COVID first happened, middle of March, they shut everything down. I can remember having the thought of, I bet this will be fine in a few weeks. And here we are, the middle of August. So through periods of transition, you've got to be patient. Number seven, probably the most important, be okay with not knowing. Here's the deal. I pride myself on being a smart woman. 
of understanding things, of figuring things out, of being in the know, I have had to learn to be okay with uncertainty and not knowing what's happening. It is so important and it kind of lowers the temperature. Many times, especially during COVID or anything happening, if, if I don't have an answer for something, I just repeat to myself, you know, we just don't know. And it is an instant lowering the temperature in my mind and helps me through that period of transition. Number eight, have the ability to accept and process other people's opinions during all of it. I know that everyone listening right now has experienced this. I don't care what the transition is. If it's COVID, if it's your kid going off to college, if it's returning to school, Lord Jesus, (laughs) if it's your health, if it's your decision to have gastric bypass, people are going to have opinions about it and that's okay. And I have to work on this a lot, is having that ability to accept and process other people's opinions. And when I say accept, that doesn't mean that you agree with them. It just means that you hear them. I want to share this really funny example of this concept. My very first job at a law school, we used to have weekly meetings with the law firm. And our boss would share his opinions about things. And we would kick around cases and ideas and ways they should be defended or prosecuted. And I remember I would sit in meetings and my boss would be talking and I would be sitting there shaking my head up and down in a yes motion. And I'm just doing that, nodding my head up and down. And he would say, oh, oh, I I see that you agree with me. And I said, oh, no, no, this just means I'm listening. I hear you. (laughs) Used to drive him crazy. And when I say process, it doesn't mean that you are saying, oh, yeah, they're right. It means that you can process it and decide what to do with it. One thing that my coach has taught me is this process, and I hope this is helpful. People have opinions about something. Now, when you're evaluating other people's opinions, the first question you want to ask is, did you hear it or see it directly? Or did someone tell you that so-and-so said it? If it's indirect, you need to delete it. Don't even consider it. If you didn't hear it or see it directly, delete it. If you did hear it, or see it, the opinion, do you even know that person? If the answer is no, delete it. You don't need to be worrying about other people's opinions from somebody you don't even know. And more importantly, they don't even know you. They may have an opinion about something, but they have no clue the process you have gone through to make your decision. So if you don't know them and they don't know you, what do you do with their opinion? You delete it. Now, if you do know them, you can then decide, Is their opinion valuable to me? Do I value what they're saying? If the answer is no, delete. If the answer is yes, you do value their opinion, then ask, could it be from a place of love? Could the opinion and advice that they're giving me or the opinion that they have about this situation be from a place of love? If the answer is no, guess what? Delete. If the answer is yes, it could be, then ask yourself, was it helpful or true? If it's not helpful or true, guess what? Delete. And if it is helpful or true, guess what? You get to pause and think about it. And then you decide what to do with it. That is the ability to accept and process other people's opinions during your transition. The next thing I encourage you to do is seek out support systems. 
Figure out those who are giving your opinions that you do value and that you do know they are coming from a place of love and you hold on to those people during these period of transitions. Also, you're going to need to readjust your expectations. As you go along this path of transition, things are going to happen. You may change your outlook on something. Readjust your expectation of it. Also, be aware of paralysis by over-analysis. When you're thinking about this period of transition you're in, so many times we can get overwhelmed with overanalyzing it that we do nothing. And that's what I mean by paralysis by overanalysis. Instead, what I want you to do is focus on the end result. And that's what the think, feel, act cycle is about. Remember, no matter what the circumstance is, you have a thought that creates a feeling that drives your actions, that gets you a result. So when you're thinking about whatever your circumstance is, whatever your period of transition is, think about what's the end result I want in this? That can apply to your transition that you're in. It could apply to a relationship. It can apply to a big decision you're trying to make or that you have made. I want you to think about what is the end result. Once you can figure out what you want that end result to be, the rest of it's pretty easy. Then you work backwards in the think, feel, act cycle. Let's go straight to the act. What do I need to do or not do to get that result? For that action, what do I need to feel? And to feel that way, what do I need to think? What thoughts are going to create the feelings to drive my actions to get that end result that I am clear as day, I know what I want? So let's throw it into the model. Let's think about this. This is what I did in my journaling, and I want to share it with you today. The circumstance for me was transitions, and I could plug any of those that I listed for you at the beginning of this podcast, any of them. That is my circumstance. I am in a period of transition. It's neutral. It's factual. Judge Judy would say, yep, that's your circumstance. Everything else about it are my thoughts. I wrote down all of the myriad of thoughts I have about my transition. The main thing that kept coming up for me was, I don't know what I'm doing. I had this thought about every single area of transition in my life. I don't know what I'm doing. When I would think, I don't know what I'm doing, what would I feel? I feel confused. Think about that. When you think, I don't know what I'm doing. What sort of feeling does that create in your body? It creates one of confusion. And when you feel confused, what do you do or not do? Well, you're scattered. You probably check out. The brain does not like feeling confused. The brain does not like confusing messages running around. You're probably engaged in some paralysis by overanalysis. You're very scattered. You're overthinking things. You're not doing anything. That's your action line. You're checked out because you feel confused because your thought is, I don't know what I'm doing. And guess what your result is? You don't know what you're doing. Remember, our result will always mirror our thought. So when I was thinking about the transition, whether it was getting Aaron ready for college, because it had been a long time since I went, or it was this transition of my health and looking at something completely different that I hadn't thought of in, in years, or my job, or relationships, I don't know what I'm doing. Guess what the result was? I don't know what I'm doing. Because I'm checked out, I'm scattered, I'm overthinking it, paralysis by overanalysis. That's not what I want. I want to live with intention no matter what my transition is. So instead, I wrote, okay, here is my transition. What is the end result that I want? The end result is I want to come out on the other side of this strong and confident and smart and in the best place I can be. Okay, to have that end result, what do you need to do or not do? 
I need to follow directions. I need to be okay with mistakes. I need to ask questions, be patient, focused. All those things I just went over with you guys. I need to have reasonable expectations. I need to seek out support. I need to process other people's opinions. I need to be flexible. All of these things that we've talked about here today, those are the actions that will get me my result. Now, what do I need to feel in order to have those actions? I need to be curious, not confused. Dare I say confident? But I for sure don't need to be confused. But I can be curious. That's the feeling I want. To get that feeling, what do I need to think? Instead of thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. Instead, I'm going to think, this is new and I can learn new things. My mission is to love, learn, and be a passionate advocate for leadership, fairness, and hope. That's what I'm going to think. I know what I'm doing. If that's too much of a leap, though, I can say I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to figure it out. This is new and I can learn new things. See how much better that thought is instead of, I don't know what I'm doing. When I think this is new and I can learn new things, I'm curious. I'm not confused. And then I can follow through all those actions that are going to get me that end result. And guys, this can apply to anything. Think about your job. Maybe you're starting a new job. Maybe you're going back to school and you're a teacher and boy, everything's different. And when you think, I don't know what I'm doing, you're going to end up not knowing what you're doing. But challenge the truthfulness of that. Of course, you know what you're doing. Think back over your other jobs and experiences and circumstances. You may not have known them, but you figured it out. You found a way. You were resiliency in action. Episode two, you make a list. That is journaling, by the way. For those of you that may feel like journaling is scary or overwhelming, just make a list. That's journaling. And that list of your worries or concerns, they may be true, but you know something? You will figure it out and you will know more as time goes on. So apply this in your areas right now, especially for parents that are in this transition with their kids going off to college. Go back to the roots of your parenting that you know so well and that you've had success with. No matter what your circumstance that you're looking at today, no matter what area of transition that you're looking at today, know that you've been through this before. It may not have been this exact circumstance. It may not have been this exact transition, but you've been here before. This ain't your first rodeo. So saddle up, friends. Focus on those thoughts. Thanks for listening today. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Hellcats Hope. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe. To book me as a speaker for your next event, work one-on-one as a coach, or find more information on my upcoming book, please go to whatthehellcat.com. Thanks for listening.